The Westminster Confession of Faith was first published in 1646. It was the result of the hard work done by a group of men called the Westminster Divines. Their goal was to outline what they believed the Scriptures principally taught. And it has been said that the Church of Christ cannot be creedless and live. Thankfully, the Westminster Confession of Faith has been the creed of the Reformed Church for almost 400 years. This podcast seeks to point you to Christ, to help you navigate the Westminster Confession of Faith, and to see you understand what you believe and why you believe it. Welcome to This We Confess. Westminster Confession of Faith, Chapter 28 of Baptism, Paragraphs 2 and 3. The outward element to be used in this sacrament is water, wherewith the party is to be baptised in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, by a minister of the Gospel, lawfully called thereunto. Paragraph 3. Dipping of the person into the water is not necessary, but baptism is rightly administered by pouring or sprinkling water upon the person. Hello once again everyone, and welcome to episode 81 of This We Confess, and today we continue our journey through chapter 28 of baptism. Last time out we discovered that baptism is a sacrament of the New Testament. It was given to us by Jesus Christ himself, and it has a very specific purpose. Baptism welcomes us into the invisible church, and baptism is a sure sign and seal of the covenant of grace, and it is a sign and seal of our engrafting into Christ, our regeneration, remission of sins, and our giving up unto God so that we will go and sin no more and walk after him in faith and obedience. This sacrament is given to the Church of Jesus Christ and is to be continued until the end of the world. Last time as well we considered some of the myths that are associated with baptism and as Reformed Christians we do not believe that baptism saves. As Reformed Christians we do not believe that baptism makes a child better and as Reformed Christians we do not believe that every adult who is baptised will continue in the faith. And so today, with that stated, we move into paragraphs 2 and 3 of chapter 28. It never ceases to amaze me that when it comes to the sacrament of baptism, it has become incredibly complicated in the modern church. The act itself remains incredibly straightforward and takes just a few moments in a church service, but all the hullabaloo and razzmatazz that surrounds baptism makes it a real head-scratcher for those involved. Where will you have the big feast after baptism? Will you go to your mother-in-law's house or will you host it in your own home? Where do you find happy baptism cards for the child and the parents? Do you get gifts? What does the child wear? Can you wear normal clothes or do you need one of those big long white flowing robes that makes a child, regardless of its gender, look like a baby bride? Baptism has become complicated and indeed it has become big business. However, when it comes to the scriptures, baptism is wonderfully simple. 
When the Westminster divines wrote these paragraphs, they were thinking about all the pomp and ceremony and circumstance that had crept into the church and was now associated with baptism. During baptism, demons were exercised and oil was poured. And so the Westminster divines write paragraph 2 and 3 to show once again the power and the beauty of baptism and yet its wonderful simplicity. Paragraph 2 states that the outward element to be used in the sacrament of baptism is water. Nowhere do we believe that oil should be poured. Water is to be used. We use water every single day to clean ourselves and to live. Without water we would not last too long. And so without salvation in Christ we have no hope. Baptism is a sign and seal of this salvation hope. And so as the water is poured over the one being baptised, we remember and are thankful to God for the gospel and for salvation poured out. And just as each day we bathe and wash and clean ourselves, and we would soon become incredibly unpopular if we didn't do this, so baptism symbolises the cleansing that is ours in Jesus Christ. As the water pours, we think about the cleansing we have, how we have been forgiven, how we have been washed clean in the precious blood of the Lamb. And so the outward element to be used in the sacrament of baptism is water. Wonderfully simple water. But this isn't just the idea of the Church of Jesus Christ. We see water is tied with baptism in the Scriptures. In Matthew chapter 3, John the Baptist said, I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry, and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And John in John 1 and verse 33 says, I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. Also in the book of Acts we see the Ethiopian eunuch baptized with water. All throughout the scriptures, we see baptism and water going hand in hand. And so it is an entirely uncontroversial statement by the divines that the outward element to be used in the sacrament of baptism is water. But as the divines go on to say, water isn't the only thing necessary so that a baptism is valid. The divines make it clear that the outward element to be used is water but also the party to be baptised is to be baptised in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Again we see this in the scriptures and it is a command of Christ in Matthew chapter 28 and verse 19 to 20. He tells us to go and to make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, And behold, says Jesus, I am with you always to the end of the age. We would never dream about leaving water to one side in baptism, and so too we should never dream of leaving the Lord to one side. We should call upon his mighty name, for baptism was his idea. It belongs to him, and he has given it generously to the church as a means of grace to build his church. So therefore, if we do not call upon him, if we do not declare the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, then baptism is not valid. Baptism is simple, and yet there are elements that must be included in any baptism. Firstly, water is to be used. Secondly, the triune name is to be called upon. 
and thirdly say the divine's baptism should be carried out by a minister of the gospel lawfully called thereunto. Immediately in 2021, this may wrangle with us. It might seem that the church is becoming just for professionals. It goes against the freedom and the liberty that exists in the modern church, where anybody or their granny can set up a new fellowship in their garage and declare themselves to be part of the Bride of Christ. However, we are to take the sacraments seriously, and we therefore should resist any temptation to say that the sacraments can be administered by anyone, anywhere, at any time. The divines underline this fact. Baptism should be carried out by a minister of the gospel lawfully called thereunto. And again, we see that in the Great Commission. Jesus calls upon his disciples to go and to baptize. These were the men commissioned by Christ and sent out as his apostles. And so today in the church, there are not any apostles. However, the Lord has given elders to the church. And therefore, a minister who is also an elder, recognized by his church and ordained to that responsibility and office, is the only one called lawfully by the gospel to administer the sacraments. This is not unfair, and this is not a departure away from our liberty. Instead, it is underlining the fact that we are to take the sacraments seriously. We have no authority to go on a mission trip and baptize the locals down in a river far away from the authority and oversight that Christ has invested into his church. Baptism is simple, and yet there are elements that must be associated with it. Water is to be used. The party to be baptized is to be so in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. And this is to be carried out by a minister of the gospel lawfully called thereunto. The scriptures have no advice for where you should have your baptism feast. And the scriptures have no advice whether you should serve sandwiches or a big steak dinner. Instead, the scriptures show us the wonderful power and beauty of the sacraments. With baptism by water, in the name of the triune God, by a minister of the gospel, lawfully called thereunto. And so I trust we accept that the divines were correct as they interpreted scripture, that there can be no baptism unless water is used. However, a debate that continues to rage in the Church of Christ is how much water should be used. Our Baptist brothers and sisters would argue that you are not properly baptised unless you are fully immersed. They would argue that the word baptizo in the scriptures always means to immerse. That is, the one who has been baptised will enter into a pool of water and then they will descend beneath the water and come up from out of the water. However, as Presbyterians and Reformed Christians, we must reject this. The Westminster Divines say in paragraph 3 that dipping of the person into the water is not necessary, but baptism is rightly administered by pouring or sprinkling water upon the person. And please see here the maturity that comes with the Westminster Divines. Whilst they do not believe the dipping of the person into the water is necessary, they do not rule it out, nor do they call it heretical, nor do they point an angry finger at such churches and denounce them. Instead, with maturity, they say that dipping of the person into the water is not necessary. For the Reformed Christian, we believe that baptizo does not always mean to immerse. 
And that isn't just us trying to support our own practice of baptizing children, but we see it in the pages of the scriptures. Baptizo does not always mean to immerse. In Mark chapter 7 and verse 4, we see that clearly. In the wider context, the passage says this, Now when the Pharisees gathered to him, that is Jesus, with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. As you listen to these verses, you may wonder what they've got to do with baptism. Well, the word behind these English verses is baptizo. And we're led to believe here that the Pharisees would baptize their cups and their pots and their copper vessels and even dining couches before they would eat. Indeed, they would baptize themselves before they would do anything. And so are we to believe that baptism always means to immerse, and therefore that the Pharisees not only baptized themselves before meals, but they baptized their cups, their pots, their copper vessels, and even their furniture. This seems very unlikely, and we must reject the notion that baptizo always means to immerse. And then later in the book of Acts, when we hear about the 3,000 souls baptized on the day of Pentecost, Are we to believe that that day 3,000 souls were fully immersed in the local sources of water? Are we to believe that there was enough water to carry out such a task? Are we to believe that it would have been tolerated when the Christian faith was seen as a heretical sect? And are we to believe that 3,000 people bringing their own filth and dirt with them would have been allowed to pollute the waters? It seems incredibly unlikely that in this instance, baptizo means immerse. And later in Acts chapter 16, we read that the Philippian jailer and his old family were baptized at once. Now this is in the middle of the night. Are we to believe that the Philippian jailer and his whole household were taken to a source of water where immersion was possible? Once again, it is more likely that Paul baptized the jailer and his whole household by pouring or by sprinkling. And we see too in the book of Hebrews in chapter 9, verse 19 onwards. For when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you. And in the same way, he sprinkled with the blood both the tent and all the vessels used in worship. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Again, when we see the baptism here, are we really to believe that Moses baptized all of these things by full immersion in blood? No. In this instance, Moses baptized by sprinkling. And so we must disagree with our brothers and sisters in the Baptist church who have insisted for generations that baptizo always means to immerse. It does not always mean to immerse. And a Baptist who is deliberately overlooking this is not being genuine when it comes to this debate. Now some will argue, for example in Matthew 3, that Jesus was immersed at his baptism. But once more, the evidence for this does not stand up. 
Here is what the scripture says about the baptism of Christ. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented, and when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water. And behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. And there we have it, say our Baptist brothers and sisters. Jesus went up from the water. However, this is reading into this passage what we wanted to believe, namely that Jesus was fully immersed underneath the water. For example, the scriptures say nothing here about the amount of water. The scriptures do not tell us that Jesus was immersed. The scriptures only say that Jesus went up from the water, or as you could say, he went away from the water. And indeed, in the history of the church, there have been images found that give the impression that John poured water over the Lord Jesus, rather than immerse him. Now, admittedly, we do not want to make images of Christ. We should not do that as we break the second commandment. However, it does show that the notion of Jesus being fully immersed is a modern one, and it was not supported by church tradition, and more importantly, by the scriptures. If that seems like a bit of a stretch, then we go to Acts chapter 8, where the Ethiopian eunuch is baptised. We read there, in verse 36 onwards, As they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptised? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptised him. And so as we read this passage, Again, the Baptist who wants to argue that baptizo always means to immerse must then see here that it appears that both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, or in other words, both were immersed. This seems extraordinarily unlikely, and that is before we discuss the water that would have been available to them. It seems indeed here the Philip and the eunuch went into the water and the eunuch was baptised by pouring or by sprinkling. Baptizo does not always mean to immerse. And so with charity and friendship to our Baptist brothers and sisters, we must disagree with their position. Dipping of the person into the water is not necessary, say the divines. And whilst it is not something a reformed believer will cut off fellowship with you over, once again, it is not necessary and should not be insisted upon. But instead, as Reformed Christians, we do argue that baptism is rightly administered by either pouring or sprinkling water upon the person. And this imagery is not an invention of the Reformed faith. Scripturally speaking, it is good and right and true to speak of the Spirit being poured out. It is good and right and true, as we have already discovered in the book of Hebrews, that we talk about forgiveness and how we have been sprinkled by the blood of Christ, as we see in Hebrews chapter 9. And indeed, in Hebrews chapter 10, we see our sanctification being spoken about once again by sprinkling. Hebrews 10 and verse 22 onwards says, Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. 
Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. However, there is one more Baptist wrinkle. The Baptist might argue, for example, that in Romans 6, the apostle says this about baptism. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. And so our brothers and sisters in the Baptist tradition use Romans 6 and verse 4 to argue for the imagery of their baptism, where we fall beneath the waters as if we're falling into the grave, and then we're raised up from the waters as if we've been raised to newness of life through faith in Jesus. However, whilst this on the surface looks like a good argument to make, we must remember that the burial of getting your own little plot of land six feet under is a very Western idea. Certainly in the Lord's day, burials were much more common as people were placed in tombs. So Jesus was not placed six feet under the earth in his death, but instead he was placed in a tomb where the stone was rolled away and when he rose again to life. So even the imagery in the Baptist position doesn't work. It might seem normal to us here in the West, but there are plenty of places throughout the world where Christians do not bury their loved ones six feet under. As a colleague once put to me, not everywhere has enough land to give over to the burial of the dead. And so, once again, we reject our brothers and sisters in the Baptist Church who insist that baptizo always means immerse, and that full immersion is the only true and proper baptism, and if you haven't been fully immersed, then you should be baptised again. And whilst this might seem to be the majority position, it has not been the majority position throughout the history of the church. Dipping is not necessary, but baptism is rightly administered by pouring or sprinkling water upon the person. However, I am thankful for the maturity of the Reformed faith, where we do not insist upon re-baptism, and so once again we extend the hand of friendship to our Baptist brothers and sisters. I'm aware at the end of this episode you might think that this is all a hullabaloo about nothing, and yet actually it is very important. How we baptise and what we use when we baptise is of a vital concern to many. There are still those who wonder about their own baptisms. Were they baptised correctly? They were baptised as children and now they've grown up, perhaps they've entered into a fellowship that says that baptism is invalid. There are others who were baptised by a man who since apostatized and left the faith and now denounces Christ. Was that baptism effective? Can their baptism be trusted? What makes that baptism valid? To all these questions, the Westminster Divines answer with wisdom and maturity and tenderness. Baptism for the Reformed Christian is powerful and yet wonderfully simple. For a baptism to be valid, water is to be used. Some will be dipped and fully immersed, but it is not necessary. That does not make it any more or less valid. And indeed, rightly, we can pour or sprinkle water upon the person. And indeed, baptism is rightly administered by both pouring or sprinkling. So we use water when it comes to baptism. And we call upon the name of our triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the one who baptizes isn't your neighbor down the street who insists that you were baptized incorrectly, 
but instead it is an ordained minister of the gospel. Here is the simplicity of Christian baptism. No demons are exercised, no oil is poured, no rebaptism is accepted, and no, we do not look to the man who does it. But instead we look to the triune God who has given us this wonderful sacrament for the good of his bride, the church. So my friends, go and make disciples of all nations and baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. As always today, here are some questions for you to consider. Question 1. What three elements will always exist in a valid baptism? Question 2. How would you respond to someone who says that baptizo always means to immerse? Question 3. Give a biblical example of where baptizo could not possibly mean to immerse. And question 4. Give further biblical examples where we read about the language of pouring and sprinkling. That's all for today. As always, my name is Scott Woodburn, and until next time, this we confess. Mm -hmm.